Hi, and welcome to this episode of Health is Your Wealth, a Walton County conversation. I'm your host, Dee Dee Harris. I'm the executive director of Walton Wellness, Inc., a nonprofit located here in Walton County. And I'm here with my co-host, Bruce Young. Hey, Dee Dee. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course. This is great. Good to be here. And this is episode four of our opioid epidemic in Walton County. And this one's pretty unique. We, uh, I think, are lucky to have been able to speak with Amanda Keener. I think that's how you pronounce her name at Twin Lakes Recovery Center. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Twin Lakes is located here in Monroe. Uh, we actually have two... Um, different places in Monroe that you can go for an addiction. And Twin Lakes, though, specifically focuses on addiction, whereas our other place um, is more mental illnesses as well as addiction. So I chose to talk with Amanda. She is a recovery counselor at Twin Lakes. And um, I think a lot of people will be interested in this because a lot of people will see that big white house off of Highway 11 as you're going to Social Circle from Monroe. That's Twin Lakes. You've probably seen the sign. Oh, yeah. That's what that place is. Yeah. Okay. And the reason it's called Twin Lakes, I found this out. There actually is two lakes there on the property. You only see one from the front, from passing by on the road. I was going to venture to guess it had (laughs) something to do with two lakes. There is actually two lakes. Um, And I will say, I was very impressed with just the property in itself. Um, In the interview, you'll hear Amanda, you know, talking more specifically about what they do there um, and specifically about just the recovery process um, with opioid addiction. But the property itself is very peaceful, beautiful. I think it's a great place for people to ha- that need to go and reflect and, and make some decisions about their life. They also sure. are incorporating a lot of um, interesting ideas that are out there now in recovery, like getting some livestock and animals on the property so that people that are in a recovery process can actually be caring for the animals. There's, there's lots of research out there. About no, that's very therapeutic from what I've heard with horses and I guess even general livestock. But I think that even some uh, jails, I believe, use that method. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So they're doing some unique, um, more progressive things, I think, at Twin Lakes. And um, is it a 30 day program or is it does it vary depending on, I guess, severity? Yeah, I think it it does vary on the severity. Also, like with everything else, it depends on your insurance. Oh, right. (laughs) They are strictly insurance there. Um, They don't take Medicaid or any kind of um, government supplemental program. So they are strictly insurance, and, and that depends a lot. But Amanda did say to me that, you know, at Twin Lakes, if that's not the place, whether it has to do with your insurance or it just has to do with the way they go about recovery, they are committed in anyone who calls them and needs a recovery place. They're committed to helping that person find the right place for them, which I thought was really great. Oh, wow. Well, that's pretty compassionate and uh, uh, that's a great thing. So yeah, here's episode four with Amanda from Twin Lakes. Good. Um, thank you, Amanda, for being with us here today. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but I want to say welcome to Health is Your Wealth podcast. And if you will, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
Okay. Hi, I'm Amanda. I am the clinical director at Twin Lakes Recovery Center. Um, I oversee kind of the operations of the clinical piece of Twin Lakes on a day-to-day basis. And Twin Lakes Recovery Center, to explain a little bit about what that is, Recovery Center. So Twin Lakes is a 30-day residential substance abuse facility. Okay. So people come and live with us for 30 days, and they get treatment for their substance abuse. And so how do people come to be here? Are they... um, they call you up and say, I want to come? Are they referred by family members, courts? Exactly how does that work? Or is it all different ways? It's all of the above. Okay. So um, we have a call center, which is in Tennessee. So Twin Lakes is a part of a larger corporation called Summit Behavioral Health. So we all share a call center. So the local numbers for Georgia or maybe South Carolina they can call and it takes them directly to the call center who talks about Twin Links. So they can call in, share what's going on with them, or if it's a family member, then they'll share about what's going on with them. We'll take their insurance information and then one of our Twin Links admissions personnel will call them, find out exactly what's going on, how long they've been using, when was the last time they used, those sorts of things to make sure that we're the best facility for them. And so you do take private insurance? We do. Okay. Do you also take um, indigent care or Medicaid or anything like that, or is it strictly private insurance? So we are only licensed for strictly insurance, so we can't take Medicaid or Medicare. Okay. Good to know. Yes. So you are a third in this series that we are doing on opioid addiction. And I know I'm sure here at Twin Lakes, being that it's a recovery center, you focus on lots of different addictions, Mm -hmm. not just opioid. But today I want to ask you some specific questions that is geared toward opioid addiction. Um, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but maybe how many people that are here at your facility um, have an opioid addiction? It's one of our top. So alcohol, opiates. Those are at the top of why people end up coming here. Okay. So, um, First, being that you are a clinical director, can you tell us a little bit about like your background and how you became a clinical director? What does that mean exactly? So I have a master's in professional counseling. So I'm an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor. Um, So I come from the space of the therapy and how we're going to work on the emotional piece that has come from or added to the addiction piece. Which is, I'm sure, huge. Yes. A, a huge key component as to why people end up being addicted to different substances. Right. For sure. So what made you want to um, be involved with therapy with people that have an addiction? Um, so my career started in acute care. So crisis stabilization, getting people out of the moment of crisis and getting them to a place to get better. Um And I saw over and over again the same people coming Mm -hmm. into detox over and over and just really wanted to do more than just a crisis stabilization, wanting to give them a chance to detox and then have some time under their belt to learn the tools they needed to be able to stay sober. Um, So that's why I transitioned to residential. Right, so that you could actually maybe see these people go through an entire program and maybe not see them again. Correct. Yes. <laughs> in a good way. Yes, in <laughs> not a see good them way. again in a good way. Yes. That's what you always say, I'm sure. I hope I don't ever see you again, or at least not here, right? Right. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so maybe you can help us a little bit about with our series, you know, we're, we're specifically focusing on opioids and we've talked with a medical doctor. We've also talked with law enforcement, but you have a unique piece to this puzzle because, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I am assuming that you are seeing people once they've gotten to a point in their life for whatever reason that they are actually trying to beat their addiction, that they're trying to get off of drugs. So you have them in a unique point in their life. So could you tell us a little bit about um, the difference between opioid addiction and abuse? Are those two different things? So the DSM, which is the the book of medical knowledge of the life. The Bible of, of <laughs> yes. Um, which, of mental illness, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it categorizes everything um, from mental health to addiction and that sort of thing. So kind of giving criteria to if you you need to have these things to be able to be diagnosed with this disease so in the newest one there's no longer a difference um in the past they have separated abuse um, and dependency okay um and so now it's all just a disorder so there's no longer all the things are there so like it used to be that abuse was a little less you hadn't used it as much a dependency was these other criteria that right. got you to like a longer space. Well, now it's all just kind of lumped together um, because finding that fine line between what's abuse and what's dependency. Right. Um, when do you cross over? Is it just a not yet kind of thing? Okay. So we use them now more interchangeably. So like substance abuse, you know, we're a substance abuse facility. Right. Dealing with addiction. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. yeah. And so before, being that it separated it out, did it kind of change the philosophy of how people approached recovery or dealing with people of addiction? Or not really? It's the same whether they were here because they were, quote, abusing substances or whether they were dependent on substances. So probably more of an insurance world of okay. them saying, hey, if you're not dependent... Maybe you don't need so much help yet. Gotcha. You can do these other levels of care first. So with changing that, in my mind, I would think that maybe we might be able to get people before they're in a deep addiction. Maybe, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I was just thinking that maybe if somebody before that would have maybe been categorized as an abuser but not dependent, is there more opportunity there to actually help them get off and stay clean than possibly somebody who is in a deeper dependency? Um, yes. I mean, the shorter amount of time you've used, the less baggage that comes with that, the less emotional space. Um, so that's helpful. I don't know necessarily that it's easier one way right, or another. Right. I think it's just less less time in the game. Yeah. Um, and maybe you haven't there haven't been over and over consequences or trauma that's happened to get you to years and years of dependency does that make sense yeah okay so tell us um we hear a lot about addiction being a disease and then we hear a lot addiction not being a disease can you kind of tell us at least maybe your perspective on that and um whether you categorize it as a disease or not yeah, so Twin Lakes, it's definitely a disease. It's a brain disease. There's definitely a difference in somebody's brain that's an addict and someone that's not. 
Now, they haven't been able to say, this gene, this chromosome, this is it. Um, there are definitely biological and environmental factors that play into that. Um, but if it was just as easy as quit doing that, there would be no need. Right. Like people, would, <laughs> people would quit doing that. Um, people lose everything. Right. Their families, their lives, their jobs. They become homeless. And if they could, if to solve all that, all they had to do was put the drug down. Right. They would put the drug down. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's definitely a chemical, chemical space. Um, it's also difficult because it doesn't, it grows. So maybe you were drinking at a normal quote unquote space for a while and then you don't. Um, opiates are short in that period. Huge. So where maybe you could drink for years and years right. and not be a problem opiates you're not going to play with them for a long time i see um so kind of opioids are one of those things once you start then the um the level of tolerance or whatever just rises very quickly so that you have to start taking more and right i see so it's a lot quicker addiction am i right Mm -hmm. than maybe some other substances correct is that true for um so when we talk about opioids I always kind of try to distinguish because there's heroin, which we typically associate with like a street drug, mm-hmm. back alleys, strung out people. Then there is prescription opioid abuse or addiction, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, maybe in our minds as people who are not in this world of addiction or a drug abuse, we think of that as we don't think of that as being like the back alley and the person on the street or, you know, having to commit crime to, to get your next fix. Is there really a difference between those two addictions? I mean, is that just media and what we see in the movies? Media. I mean, it's the same. Your brain sees, you know, the pain pills and heroin. It's an opiate. Um, it makes you feel good. Um, so the, and your brain reacts the same way. Right. Okay. Um, And we see lots of transitioning. People who maybe started on the pain pills, um, maybe they had a back surgery or some sort of surgery and were prescribed them, and then they were running on the prescription too soon or that sort of thing. Heroin's a lot cheaper than buying pain pills. So, and I heard that from our law enforcement interview as well that actually prescription drug you're buying that i mean you're going to spend at least 30 to 35 dollars a pill correct um versus heroin i can't remember what he said heroin cost but it was a lot less a lot less so the ability when you're at that place and you're taking 15 pills a day times 30 right you're that's a lot of money um when you can go buy heroin and it's a whole lot cheaper and you're still in that space right And you kind of touched on it, but I did want you to talk about, um, we also hear a lot of time, is there an addiction gene or an addiction personality? Can you talk a little bit about that? Is there such thing? You did say that we haven't been able to identify a specific gene, but is there a personality or do we think there's a gene? So there's definitely a difference in the way brains light up. So when you do mapping of brains, like, a person who is an ag- addict and a person who's not, the brain lights up differently. Hmm. There's that. But there's no, like, that's what causes I see. it to do that. 
Um, because there could also be people who are addicts and never know because they just never drink or they I never see. use anything. Um, and so they live their whole lives and they just don't use for whatever reason. And so they never knew that they were. Um, and then you have the other people who life seems okay and maybe they're social, um, you know, play around in college or whatnot. And then they're no longer playing around. Because they become addicted to it. It becomes addictive. So Mm -hmm. am I understanding you right to say that you may have the disease even if you don't have the addiction? Yeah. So that is the difference in saying that this is a disease versus this is just a series of bad choices that people make. Um, So there, does that play into family history? Yes. So we do, there is a genetic component to it, but we haven't identified a specific gene. Is that Correct. what you're saying? Yes. Okay. There's the, the genetics without a specific gene is strong. Like right. family history plays a huge part um, in the likelihood of your children also being an addict. So you do see that quite often. Have you experienced, and you're young, so mm-hmm. maybe not, but have you experienced in your career um, where you see the parents and then you see the children, mm-hmm. or I'm sure there are counselors that have. Oh, absolutely. Or are, you know, maybe we get like a younger person here and then their families come and their families say, I get it. I'm an addict too. I see. So, so that is the strong, very strong mm-hmm. component. Very much a, um, reason why you should know if that is in your family right. history. And that's important to know. We, Walton Wellness, we are always very much about trying to encourage people to know their health history, Mm -hmm. and that's a huge one in there because, like you said, you could have the disease and not know it, and then if you get to college or even a stressful time in your life or something and end up with the actual addiction, which is kind of scary because people may not know that that's even a possibility for them. Right, and that's a big piece what we do for our clients is teaching them to educate their kids and what that looks like for them um, and age appropriateness and right. that sort of thing. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, we talked about the gene, is there a typical opioid addict? There's um, not. So we <laughs> and we kind of talked about that with the difference between what we think about with heroin versus prescription, right. but. So, I mean, you can have your 18-year-old kid who started doing them at a party and was just having a good time. But we also see the 75 year old grandma who had back surgery, who started taking them and then couldn't stop taking them. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that is one of the things in my research that I have seen. And and you tell me if I'm wrong, is this a unique, this age population? Of course, there's always been older people with, you know, addictions. Right. But do we see in the opioid addiction more, let's say, seniors actually being addicted? Or is is it just about the same? Um, I mean, there's always a, there currently is a large population between 18 and 25 right. that okay. are opiate addicts. But there's also a large older population um, of addicts. And is this because they are prescribed opioids more often, or do we know, is it um, because as you age, your brain chemistry changes? 
Um, or is it just the same reasons why younger people are addicted to opioids? It's the same reasons. Um, I think we're just paying attention to it more and seeing it more that I don't think all of a sudden the older population has just decided to start abusing right. <laughs> opiates. I think that that issue has always been there. Right. But no one has paid attention because it's like, oh, that's just grandma. That's granddad. Like, it's it's fine. It's um, That's just the way they are. Right. Kind of. And maybe even some of the family may even know that there's a little something not right there happening with right. medication, but still it's hard to imagine your 70 to 80-year-old mother, grandmother having an addiction. Right. Um, and I think that I'm just guessing it seems like in the mainstream – because of media and the influences we have, that's really not a population we we talk about a lot right. with this type of issue. Right. Um, we don't think about drugs in our older population, right. but it does seem like with opioids that has changed, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Right. For Very sure. Much so. So, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like for someone who is addicted to opioids to go through withdrawal if they decide, okay, I'm done with this. Um, and maybe in that same description, you can explain a little bit how your facility handles that. What does Twin Lakes do? When someone comes to the door and they are fresh off of, you know, I, I was high earlier today, what do y'all do? So the longer they go, the worse they will feel. Um, they're going to feel like they're dying. Um, they're not going to, but, um, it's like the most horrible worst case flu that you could ever imagine so sweats and body aches and tremors and nausea um diarrhea vomiting um lots and lots of body aches um and then having trouble sleeping because your body hurts so much then you can't sleep and you just kind of keep living this misery um so we detox them. Our detox takes about six days um, okay. for the opiates. Um, some of the other ones are shorter, but we have found that that, that pain continues for them. Um, the longer they've been using, the more they've been using, the rougher their detox. I see. Um, so is. six days, is that kind of an average for someone? And will they feel bad and feel these symptoms for six days? or? So I have seen both extremes. I have seen the person who literally has had to stay in the bed because their body hurts so bad for six days. Um, and then I've also seen the person who does three days and is up and in group. Oh. And, um, and there's no way really to know like which end right. you're going to land on. Um, it's kind of where your body's at and what you've done to your body. Um, because I hear all the time, last time it wasn't this bad. I see. Or, um, you know, it, it didn't hurt this bad last time. Or um, it's been better than this before. So there's, it's a spectrum. Of and does of age play a role in that at all? Have you seen that maybe younger people have a little easier time than older? Mm, or no? Not necessarily. Some of the okay. sickest people I've seen have been 18-year-olds. I see. So it's more of what you've put your body through. Right. Um, and where you're at. And then also when you add in other, so if you're a diabetic or you have liver oh, right. issues or if you have pancreatic issues. So if there's other medical stuff going on, um, the detox is usually worse now our doctor is awesome and works 
tries really, really hard to make sure you're on the lower end of the spectrum so that it's not, we want to keep you as comfortable as possible. So you do use medications to help with symptoms. Can you talk about like what kind of medications do you use? So we do not use uh, methadone or suboxone. And that is, we have lots of people who call that say, I'm an opiate addict. Will you detox me on suboxone? And if we say no, they won't come. Um, and can you just tell us real briefly um, for people that may not know what methadone or sodoxone is, what kind of drug is that? So they're replacements. So they're, okay. they were originally intended to help people um, come off the opiates um, and then detox and move on. But we have moved to, they help with pain management and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So now people are starting to use them in a longer term space. Um, now, can you get addicted to those? Yes. Okay. So, is that one reason why your facility chooses? Correct. Not to? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's lots of lots of really good substance abuse facilities that do use them. Um, we just Twin Lakes as a philosophy does not use them. Okay. Um, because we have watched people come in trying to get off methadone and suboxone, their detox is twice as worse as oh, the really? ones who are just open detoxing off the opiates wow um because i don't know exactly the way that it binds right. to the system so our goal is to get them off of it completely completely uh, in a way that they don't have to keep maintaining because with methadone and suboxone it's a maintenance space so you're still right. taking them on a daily basis and hopefully tapering down and I don't know if you can answer this or not, but okay. with methadone or sodoxone, does that give you a high? Do you feel a high? Or is it just basically um, kind of similar to people who have an alcohol addiction that they have to have a certain amount of alcohol in their body just to function, but they're not necessarily drunk? Is that the same kind of thing? So it depends on how much you use. So like if you were to do it like you're supposed to and like right. this you're tapering down, uh-huh. um, it should not. Okay. But most addicts are want to, to push be the high. limit, right? right. <laughs> um, and so then they're using it. Um, or they get to a place where they're done and they're tired and they don't want to use anymore and they don't want to get high, but they also don't want to feel really sick. And so then it's them trying to help themselves not go through withdrawals. Gotcha. I see. So. And so you actually, Twin Lakes has a medical doctor yes. that comes and oversees people who are detoxing. Correct. And what type of comfortable, t- you know, making people comfortable, what kind of medications does he use? Are we talking like over-the-counter kind of stuff or? So it's just, still prescriptions, right. um, but they're not addictive. There's okay. nothing that they're going. So no type of narcotic or anything no. I see. There are no narcotics at Twin Lakes, period. <laughs> so um, nothing that they're going to get addicted to. Um, we run all their blood work and before we even start to make sure that um, medically they're going to be safe and how we right. can make that that happen. So, so we talked, uh, you mentioned six days for mm-hmm. the withdrawal. But once someone goes through detox and they're on the other side of the withdrawal, are mm-hmm. they considered clean at that point? Or what does that term really mean? So there's two different things of life. So there is living substance-free. Okay. And then living a recovery lifestyle. Okay. So 
being abstinent from the substance doesn't necessarily mean you're sober. It means you're just not taking it anymore. But living a life where you're imploding the tools that you've learned and that you're working whatever program um, that you have found that works for you, so whether that's 12 steps or smart recovery or CR or those sorts of things, that you're doing something in your daily life. Okay. Um, Because it's not only the drug that you're taking, it's the way that your brain works, the way that you process decisions, the way that you make choices. All of that, all is a thought process because for so long they've been lying and being manipulative to be able to help feed their addiction. And so it's about teaching them how to cope better with life and how to maintain that space because life is not going to be fantastic just because they're sober now. Right. Um, And so that they have those tools and that they're doing something. They're working a recovery program to help them be able to maintain their sobriety. And so someone who is just abstinence from substance, you're saying that they're they're just not using right now. Is that more of kind of the key that the likelihood that they would use again is greater? Um, And that's one of the things I wanted you to talk about. How long does it typically take? for someone to, um, to say, I am, you know, I am done. I mean, there's always a possibility of relapse. Am I right? Right. So how long does it normally take for someone to be able to transition from just abstinence from the substance into a recovery lifestyle? Well, the hope is that they're leaving us into a recovery lifestyle. Um, the there's not there's not really a time frame to be able to say if you make it to this mark right. you're gonna you're gonna stay. do good right um, it's more of how long are you is this going to be a life you know kind of like a diet right <laughs> is this going to be a lifestyle change for you are you going to change these things in your world right um, biologically we see a difference in the brain for men somewhere between six and nine months that their brain starts to heal for women it's like nine to twelve months. Um, interesting. And so do you actually at Twin Lakes, do y'all do brain scans or whatever? To we do see? not. So mm-hmm. there's not like a definitive looking at a diagnosis saying, okay, your brain is starting to heal. Right. It's more about actions, choices, dedication, that kind of thing Correct. that you're seeing. Right. And what's the best chance for someone who is, comes to Twin Lakes goes for 30 days, does well in the program, walks out your door, what is the best chance for that person to stay sober? Getting connected. So um, there's a whole spectrum. So when we discharge plan, so after their 30 days, they can go to sober living, Mm -hmm. which is essentially like getting an apartment or a house, but with people to hold you accountable. Other people who are in the program, people who have been sober for a really long time, um, and then continuing therapy because 30 days is not enough to go through all the things that they need to go through emotional wise. Right. So setting them up with intensive outpatient, which is groups a couple of times a week or setting them up with a therapist, a psychiatrist, whatever that looks like. Um, the other piece is that they're attending some sort of recovery program. So most people know AA or NA, right. um, but there's also... 
alternative programs now that are not. Um, so smart recovery is mm-hmm. an option. There's refuge recovery, which is more of a Buddhist right. um, space. There is CR, which is celebrate recovery, which mm-hmm. is in most, um, is found in churches. So right. it's more God, Christian right. space. So them having something that they plug into. I see. A program that they're working and living as a part of their life. So they can get a community right. that's sober, a sober community around Correct. them. What, um, as far as their living a recovery lifestyle, how does that involve their family members and their loved ones? Did, I mean, obviously, they're a piece of this. Right. So how do they plug in? Is Do they come to therapy? Do they support them? I mean, how does that look? So family's a big piece of it um, because lots of families are uneducated, just like lots of people in the sense of understanding it as a disease and what that looks like and how they've been enabling their loved one. Right. Um, so Twin Lakes itself, we do a lot of family education. So families attend a weekly lecture um, mm. twice a week with us if they want to. Um, there's family programming in the client's third week of treatment where we bring the families in and do interactive things. And then we encourage all of our families to go to Al-Anon or Narnon. So okay. that they have their program, own program to be able to be working and learning. Because it's a family disease. Right. Like, everyone has been affected um, if you're living with an addict. Um, and so learning how to retrain the way that you've been interacting with them or hiding for them or enabling them or just being angry. Right. Um, and helping the families get back to a peaceful state. Um, learning to trust their loved one again and how do you do that and how do you forgive and how do we move on when I've been hurt so badly. Right. Um, and over and over, most yeah. likely. So for family members who are a part of an addict's life, I mean, they are kind of having to change their lifestyle too after mm-hmm. that person right. gets clean and then starts coming home and living a recovery lifestyle. The family has to be willing to make changes as well. Right. So I guess that's kind of difficult because then there's some probably resentment and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that comes into play when you're like, I didn't have the addiction. You did. And now we all are having to do this. Right. Um, so I'm sure, I can't imagine, there is so much that families have to work through, whether you're the parents or the siblings or the right. children right. Um, of an addict that would be very difficult. It is. It is really difficult, um, especially trying to decide what what families, you know, families have boundaries, too, of what they're willing to do and what they're not. Right. Um, and depending on how hurt they are, where that comes in. Um, or, um, you know, how do you handle medicine at the house? How do right. you go to the doctor? Um, what if I need something and my husband isn't supposed to be around that? Or... What does that look like? And how, as a family, do you come up with what your new normal is right. of life? And through a lot of these programs, it kind of helps the family get a plan right. together. Mm-hmm. So by the time the addict comes home, there's a plan in place that Correct. kind of helps keep everybody safe and all of those things, yeah, which so, I can see would be necessary. <laughs> yeah, so when they do their family programming, it's a very detailed, what are our boundaries? What are we okay with in our house? What are we not okay with? How are we going to deal with these things? Right. And step A, B, C, and D for everyone. Right. Um, so that they're, we, 
take the guessing game out of it. Take it out of the space of like, ooh, what do I do if this pops up? Right, um, right. So everyone already knows so that when it does pop up, because it's going to. Right. How are we? We're already on the same page. Right. You know, there's not a there's not a guesswork of how do we enable this. And that provides the confidence for everyone right. to be able to move forward too. Because when you have a plan, I mean, you know, sometimes that plan may have to be tweaked, but at least you right. feel secure. Right. You've got something that you know you're going to. I can see where that's just a huge piece right. to this recovery um, puzzle. Can you tell us, maybe off the top of your head, how likely it is for someone to stay clean from opioid addiction? Um, so, in general, they say one in ten. One in ten stays clean. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really sad. That's a yeah. sad number. It is. I'm so glad that you <laughs> want to do this work because for some people that might be just a really sad thing to have to see the same people coming over and over again. Um is that kind of echo what you see at Twin Lakes as far as people coming back? Or? No. Um, I mean, that's kind of the overall national kind of space of okay. like one in ten right. um, is what stays. Um, I don't know Twin Lakes' exact kind of resiliency rate, um, but I know that in the two and a half years that we've been open, we have a really strong, healthy alumni program oh, of okay. lots of sober Lots of sober people. So. Which I imagine them getting together and then supporting new people who right. come in is really yeah. also a great key for everybody to have that community right. to depend on. And someone, it's in anything, anything hard that you go through in life, it's always nice to have someone who has been through it before. Right. Not to say that you can't help somebody if you haven't been through it, but it is nice for you to be able to talk to somebody who's mm-hmm. been there, done that can kind of mentor you or something, I'm sure. And we even see that in the short term. So our alumni, we have an alumni meeting every Wednesday, um, and they come and they come back. They come back on the weekends. We have bonfires. Oh, wow. And them getting to talk to our current clients in that space of, I was literally in your shoes, in your bed. Right. You know, a year and a half ago. Wow. And now um, look at me. I'm right able to live a I'm normal life. I'm back at home, and I'm with my wife, and I'm working, and... That's awesome. Um, yeah. Or I went back to school and, you know, my parents trust me again. And right. Being able, it's very helpful. Um, right. I can imagine mm-hmm. if you're in that situation, it's huge to see someone being successful. Right. And then you tell yourself, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. I know, you know, as hard as it may be, but right. just having a goal to work towards and connecting with somebody who's been through it and now successful I can see was really huge so can you tell us now um, a little bit about what are some signs of opioid addiction I want to kind of get into what are some advice we can give families um, or even someone who may be listening that's dealing with an addiction themselves Um, specifically thinking about opioids what are some signs if you are um, a family member a friend or something someone may have an opioid addiction trust your gut like if you see their behaviors changing um, you know they're being sneaky um, they are canceling plans or excited about something and then don't show up or Mm. we're really late um, being preoccupied um, at family functions or whatnot of 
because it's a, a brain disease, right. their brain is constantly thinking, when am I going to get it next? How am I going to get it? Where is it going to come from? Where's the money that I need? It's just all consuming. It's all consuming. So when they're doing other things, because they're at a party or because they're at work, um, you know, there's some control in that. Right. But then when, when you're starting to feel sick and you're starting to worry, oh, I only have two pills left, um, how much longer is this party going to last? How much longer is my mom going to talk to me? Then you start to see kind of the anxiety. Right. Okay. So a lot it. of anxiety kind of going along with that. Right. Um, and then, you know, if they have flu like symptoms multiple times in a week or in a month of like, you don't get, right. You don't get sick that often. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, being able to say why, like, why are we, here again right or they're sick in the morning and then they're perfectly fine by the afternoon they got a fix like, i see um you know you look like you had the flu this morning and now this afternoon you're, you're cutting great. the grass like, <laughs> um you know right family and friends may not know what's going on but there's usually some sort of gut of something's off something's off um the best thing you can do is addiction grows in secrets and in the dark Mm -hmm. So when we ignore it and pretend like it's not going on, that just gives it power. I see. Um, so, so denial. Right. Absolutely. So being able to call them out, they're going most likely to lie to you. Mm -hmm. um, but the more you bring it up, the more they have to lie that at some point they will get tired. Right. Um, and so like, what's going on with you? These are the things I notice. Right. Being concrete with that. Like something's wrong. And if it does come out that, you know, okay, this is what we're dealing with, an addiction, mm -hmm. what would that family member's next step be? Um, let's look at a scenario that somebody doesn't want to get clean. Is there anything that a loved one can do for that person who is just not there? What, they've got to be ready. Um, I mean, Twin Lakes itself is a voluntary program. Right. Um, clients have to want to be here. Um, and they can leave whenever they want to. I see. So um, they are able to check themselves out. Right. Um, it's a voluntary space because until you're ready, because it's a battle. It's a fight every day. Right. And until you're ready to do that, someone else making you do that um, is not going to work. Now, the other hand of that is sometimes people need that push. Right. Of those ultimatums of... I'm leaving. We're not doing that to get them in the door. Okay. And then kind of us building them up and showing them what life can be sober. Right. Um, because a lot of times the resistance to getting clean is the scary feeling of, I know that I'm going to feel sick. I right. know how bad that's going to hurt. Or, you know, maybe they are holding it together enough for work. The secrets of, I don't want anybody to know. Right. Like, I don't want to have to take time off work. I don't want my friend down the street to know that I'm an addict. Um, and so the stigma that comes with it stops people a lot of times. So again, what you said, the secret, right. keeping it in the dark and not talking about it is giving it power. Right. And so the person saying I'm embarrassed or I don't want right. people to know just keeps fueling their own addiction. Right. So for the person who let's switch that scenario and look at, the person who loves someone who is ready to get clean, um, what do you suggest they do? What if they want to come to Twin Lakes? So you can Google Twin Lakes. There's a lovely 1-800 number. 
Um, they will get the call center. We will. Twin Lakes works as fast as possible because when someone's ready, like right, yes, like don't give them time to sleep on it and you know jump jump on the fire while it's there. So right. we try to make the process as seamless as possible. Um, and then maybe Twin Lakes doesn't work for whatever reason. Maybe there's some sort of medical issue we can't handle right. or maybe the insurance doesn't work or for whatever reason, um, maybe our milieu is not good for them at the moment. We'll help you find something. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so you definitely, if somebody comes here and it's a couple of weeks, it's not working out, you would help them find maybe another program that would be perfect for them. Yes. So that's kind of, that's great to know. What would you say to someone who may be listening who is an addict themselves right now? And they're listening to all of this. And um, is there anything that you could say or advice or anything you could tell them to maybe give them a little hope of maybe giving y'all a call? So as scary as it is, the other side's better. Like the worst day sober will always be better than the best day high. Hmm. Um, you know, Twin Lakes works really hard to make it feel like a family and it's a house and you don't feel like you're in a hospital or in an institution. Right. Um, you know, there's lots of pretty lakes and green grass to be able to get better and find peace in your life again. Like you, life is better than what you're giving yourself right now. Right. Um, you just got to call. Well, and would you mind giving that number? Or if you don't have it, then the best thing to do is to Google. Google. Yes. So. Google Twin Lakes um, Monroe. But you yes. did have, um, briefly tell us, you do have some other facilities. So that we have two outpatient facilities. There's one in Athens and there's one in Gainesville. Um, and they meet three nights a week for three hours. So from six to nine. So if you're not in a space to be able to come and live for 30 days, mm -hmm. you can go know work during the day go to the groups a couple of nights a week they both also have family components I so um, groups are monday wednesday thursday nights but tuesday nights are for families and that's no additional cost that's just part of the mm -hmm. part of the program right and if they call the number whoever they talk to is going to help them get to the right facility right. or program right yes. as long as they just tell them yeah you know, what their needs are and stuff. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for all this information. I think I've learned a lot. I really appreciate it. I hope everybody listening has learned a lot. And um, hopefully we'll talk again at yeah. another time. Thank you so much. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by Walton Wellness, Inc. and the Walton County Healthcare Foundation. Email us at waltonwellness at gmail.com. Find us on the web at waltonwellness.org. Facebook and Instagram.